0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
1: The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone.
2: It's coming up to two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.73 RRR. Radio Marinara is the name of this program. My name's Bron Burton.
3: And my name's Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Burton. <laughs>
2: How are you today?
3: I'm very well. Enjoying it's a bit cooler. Oh,
2: me too.
3: Chucked open the windows last night. Um, hopefully no mossies came in with Roth River virus.
2: Didn't yeah. Me. You, mm. It's one of those risk assessment taking yeah.
3: exercises i, I isn't guess it? it is yeah yeah I, I, I shouldn't i don't want to be overly sort of worried about those things there's funny far, far too many things to be concerned about if we want to
2: and big shout out to our listeners up in sydney um we know you're doing it very tough weather-wise and around the new south wales central northern southern coastal areas particularly slightly northern
3: and we do have a couple up there on
2: mm, the coast. We do.
3: Mm, Central Sydney, I'm not so sure about. But yes, I am well and looking forward to today's program.
2: Indeed. Hey, thank you, Tim, very much. Beautiful, wonderful programming.
3: <laughs> as always.
2: We do it as always. <laughs> and like.
3: whenever I get up and listen to Tim, I think, God, he did this yesterday. He's doing it today. He does such a great job. He sounds so cheery. I know I mentioned this just about every time I'm on, but... The hardest working man in radio. Yeah. I love him dearly.
2: Hey, did you hear the, um, the I don't want to go too much because we need to get into our program, but did you hear the um, bracket at around eight o'clock, the James Brown, It's a Man's World. And yes. And I've not heard that version before.
3: And then a bit of Nina Cherry.
2: 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, Nina Cherry. Amazing. Today's program coming up shortly, we are going to have Neil Blake in studio. Neil is our very own baykeeper. Beautiful Neil. Mm-hmm. Telling us what's been going on. In, uh, I want to talk
3: to world. him about an um, article in the Age this morning, page um, 15. Native oysters return to clean up our bay.
2: Yeah, this is getting moving. It's good.
3: Yeah, chucking, um, making artificial limestone reefs and then putting in our native flat oyster and gassy oysters. We'll Being talk, bred at Queenscliff, but we'll talk about that when Neil comes in. Come just in just
2: a moment, yep. Um, we are then going to cross. Hopefully she's there. Hopefully she's got reception. If you heard the program last week, our dive reporter, Terry Allen, was uh, on a wooden boat on her way down to um, Hobart. In fact, she they just hit the northeast coast of Tasmania. And um, she has been since then to the Wooden Boat Festival. The weather hasn't been quite so kind to them. They've had some... Big roly, roly, roly swells and big strong winds. Okay. So um but we're gonna find out what goes on at a wooden boat festival cool. with Terry. Mm.
3: And then um we've got Dr. Tim Smith coming into the studio. We had Tim on about two years ago. He's a seagrass expert. Uh he was telling us about work that he had done in Port Phillip Bay and a curious link to a Chilean population of seagrasses. Mm. So I'm getting Tim back into give a recap on that. Tell us about um, some time he had in Spain last year working on seagrasses and he's about to head off to Newcastle, but over the summer he's been down at Apollo Bay doing Rockpool Rambles. Some of, some of you might recognise him from that. So Tim's coming into the studio.
2: And then we'll continue the uh, theme of marine phycology. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. Well, Seagrass is not quite phycology because no. they're flowering plants. True. Phycology is the study of... S- Seaweeds weeds and phytoplankton. Right. So protists.
2: Okay. Thank you for that clarification, Things which are, things which are not
3: card-carrying flowering plants, <laughs> well, which seagrasses are. <laughs> all
2: right. Well, in that case, we will segue into the world of marine psychology. Plants. <laughs> yeah. all marine plants. Let's okay. call marine plants. You can call seagrasses marine plants. We're catching up with Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria um, about a, a whole bunch of different things, but including um, some real concerns about a suddenly apparent very large population of undaria mm-hmm. um, in some areas in Portfield bay where i mean we don't want them anywhere but there are some conservation areas where undaria suddenly appeared undaria is an introduced pest yeah. algal species
3: yeah brown alga
2: yep can we have some weather please dr beach
3: if you, you certainly please. may yes i'll just consult the Sunday age. Uh, It's cool out there today, 15 to 19 degrees, um, mostly cloudy, medium chance of showers. We had a bit early this morning, which was nice, most likely in the morning. I reckon we've had those, perhaps a few more early afternoon. Winds southwest 15 to 25k, increasing to 25 to 35k in the middle of the day. Tomorrow, um, we have 60% chance of rain, just a little sprinkle under a millimetre. It's going to be 20 degrees. 21 on Tuesday with a sprinkle again, sprinkle again on thir- on Wednesday. But moving up to 29, back down to 25, back up to 28 on Friday. Just a tiny bit of rain on each one of those days, perhaps just a sprinkle. So not too hot. Excellent. We might have left those um, hot days behind. you heard we haven't cracked a 40-degree day in summer? I was, yeah.
2: I was thinking that too. It's been a warm one, but not an excessively...
3: Yeah, well, we've escaped it.
2: Mm. Fine by So me. far, so far. Touch but wood. Tides if,
3: tides, if you're heading out on the water at Lonnie at the Heads, it is uh, low tide. It was at 20 past seven this morning, so it's going to be high tide at a little bit after one thirty in the early afternoon. Um, if you like surfing on the water, um, I will try and impersonate Dr. Surf. <laughs> Reading Swellnet report in the Sunday Age, strengthening onshore winds are limiting surfing opportunities across Victorian beaches this morning. So not very good. Water temperature is 20 degrees. Uh, Phillip Island, bumpy conditions across the open beaches. Cat Bay maybe small wave late in the afternoon. Surf Coast, average surf, Mornington Peninsula, nowhere to recommend. There you have it. Stay at home with your board.
2: <laughs> Speaking of Dr Surf, he sent something through during the week. A couple of things. One is uh, something to put in your in your calendars. On April 1st, which is on a Saturday, uh, the um, Disabled Surfers Association's Mornington Peninsula branch are having a DSAMP, they're calling themselves, DSAMP Champs Surf Competition. This is at Pines Beach... Atlas Shoreham. Uh, Malediction Longboarders are running a one day surf competition to raise funds for the DSAMP Disabled Surfers Association Mornington Peninsula to ensure successful beach days continue for people with disabilities and their families. So it's a team competition, four person teams uh, with an entry fee of $200 per team, and the com- um, competitors ride soft longboards, which are all supplied by DSA.
3: Nice.
2: Uh, costumes are encouraged. You get extra points in costumes. <laughs> and some fantastic prizes. First prize is a Jetstar travel voucher or vouchers to the value of $2,000. Second prize is a surf pack donated by Trigger Brothers and third prize is Dinner for Four at Stillwater Crittenden Estate donated by Peninsula Speech Pathology Services <laughs> who we know
3: there, There's a couple of familiar um, businesses there, Trigger <laughs> Brothers and Peninsula Speech Pathology.
2: All supporting
3: All supporting DSA.
2: And also supporting Triple R because both of those uh, are also Triple R subscribers as business subscribers. I can vouch for that.
3: Mrs Surf might have a little bit to do with one of those. Yeah,
2: she might. Obviously.
3: DSamp. I didn't know they had a um, an acronym.
2: They do now.
3: Disabled Surfers Association, Mornington, Mornington Peninsula. Peninsula.
2: So that's a beauty. DSamp champs. Yep. Uh, Dr. Surf's going to be joining us not today but in the near future to talk about some of the great work that DSA are doing. Uh, A couple of things to put in your calendars too while we're on that. Uh, Sunday 5th of March, the Ocean Grove DSA are having an event at their main beach. There's an 8.30 registration. You can contact uh, DSA Ocean Grove branch on... uh, by calling Nicole 0422 066 384 and uh, looking forward to Mornington Peninsula on Saturday the 4th of March, so this is on the same weekend but the day before at Point Leo, Uh, from 11 till 3, registration open at 10 and uh, you can contact uh, either Ash on 0417 362 983 or Stuart on 0418 101 645, I know I've rattled through those numbers. If you really, we'll put them up on our Facebook page and uh, and you can have a look at them there. Or you can listen back to this program via Radio On Demand <coughs> and scribble them down.
3: That's right. I'd just like to pull out, uh, put a call out to listeners, particularly those who might be down around Wilson's Promontory. If you see a lost cruise liner, um, if anybody could call in and... Um let the authorities know. Apparently there's some um, people there who are pretty annoyed. Now, this is
2: the Norwegian Star. The Norwegian I Star. I did see this during the week.
3: Yes, yes. A cruise liner that is out of power, but it's now being towed back into port with a lot of disgruntled um, cruisers on board.
2: Not, not the love <sighs> Meredith, boat. stop
3: laughing. <laughs> this, fa- this is serious.
2: I was reading about this. It's the failure of its propulsion systems.
3: What's that? The, the prop stopped working? It's something like that. So, <laughs> a, a, a Mouse or possum it's, caught in the engine. It's or not something. the sort
2: of thing that you can just go out and get a tow, is it? it, it, it I think you need a pretty big tug. Tug. Speaking of tugboats, there's actually a special on tugboats in um, today's uh, Sunday Age as well, which is actually quite interesting. It's talking about a couple of tugboats in um, Portland.
3: And so by the way, the Sunday Age do not sponsor No, this they
2: don't. I was about station. to say that too. Um, look, I think we might go to some music. Let's do and that. And then we can catch up with Neil. I've got a heap of other news, but I'm going to hang on to that for now. You do that. Good morning, Neil Blake.
0: day. How are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I've had my constitutional walk down by the Mary Creek. Pretty I exciting.
3: did. I, I did see you as I was approaching the station this morning. I thought, like, that, that, that I vouchsafed a vision of Neil on um, Afternoon Road, yes. peering over into Mary
0: Creek. What did you was, see? Oh, there were some lovely plastic bags sort of uh, perched in the trees about three or four metres above the water. It's spectacular. Nice. In the breeze, yeah.
3: Beautiful decorations down That's there. Right. But it, it is better than it was, isn't Oh, there's
0: it? no doubt about that, yeah. I think, though, that uh, the days of uh, the bags have got to be numbered. Mm. Uh, there's, there has to be change about the availability of these things that we don't really need.
2: We seem to have stalled, don't we? There was a big push... A few years back, and we seem to be making progress as far as single-use plastic bags mm. and their reduction and banning in quite a few areas. But then it all seems to have stalled recently. Have you found that too?
0: Uh, well, they're still about that's for sure. And yeah, yep. just uh, just walking down the street, you see any people just very commonly carrying four or five supermarket mm. bags from the store.
2: Yeah, and the little ones from um, other stores as well because I think Mm. often the the supermarket plastic bags do end up having more than one use and they quite often end up being used as bin liners and things like that but the the single use you know if you go into a standard sort of two dollar store and, and buy a gift card or something like that you're always offered a plastic bag which that's of right, course yeah. is just not necessary
0: it be un-australian though to to not accept it though.
2: yeah and that's a culture change too isn't it <laughs> fascinating and i don't know if you saw um there was a headline I was either this week or last week about a whale that had washed up and 30 yeah. plastic bags found in its stomach
0: mm, that's right yeah it's, just uh, they're, horrendous they're out there and Choking turtles and all the rest of it, mm. uh, but they just disappear, so out of sight, out of mind for most people.
2: Yep. The take-home messages: don't accept them. What's, no. ha- what's happening in the bay?
0: Well, uh, there's lots of exciting things going on. Uh, uh, of course, the, from a planning point of view, the consultations for the uh, Bay Environment Management Plan uh, just closed, uh, okay, uh, about two days ago. So um, th- that's that's really uh, a big step uh, to have a ten-year plan. Uh, which has a, a number of uh, priority areas it wants to address and, and actions associated with that. So that's got to be a good thing.
2: So talk us through that, Neil, and your involvement and are you able to talk about sort of what your submission was going going into that?
0: Uh, well, I guess uh, you know, it's an interesting one um, in the sense that uh, the, the, the plan was produced by the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, of course, uh, and it's responding to um, the SEP. Uh, Schedule 6, which requires a 10-year plan to be produced, developed. And the last one was actually in 2001, so it's a little while between drinks. Um, And Unfortunately, I, I would just uh, make the observation that some of the key things that actually affect the uh, the bay's health, are such as dredging, are not actually covered by the plan. You know, so and fisheries is the other big one too, which uh, that the plan doesn't address. So they're covered by other regulations or acts, and therefore are not. Under, under this plan. So uh, that's unfortunate that's the case. And, uh, but in saying that, though, there are still some wonderful things that are coming out of it in, in that uh, um, the impacts of catchments on, on the bay are, are, are being recognised and, and the need for actions, particularly community awareness and stewardship, um, to, to address issues from the catchment. So, uh, you know, on, on balance, you'd have to say it's a great thing.
2: And where are things out with the timing of the EMP? So the, the um, period for consultation has closed. What happens from here?
0: Uh, well, that, I'm not too certain about that, but I, I would, uh, it's um, questionable whether they would put back a, a subsequent draft. I doubt that that would be the case. It has been actually uh, being discussed quite some time. They've also had a lot of online comments uh, that people have been able to contribute in in short bridged uh, s- versions of, of what they might think. Uh, so I, I would expect, though, that uh, um, there has been quite a bit of work getting it to the current draft and uh, therefore perhaps within the next few months that there could be a, a subsequent draft that uh, is, in fact, the adopted plan. I guess the, uh, the government will have to uh, put the big tick on it for that to occur, though. I um, wanted to ask you about this um, article in the paper this
3: morning about the native oysters, which are being bred at Queenscliff, are going mm. to be released back into the bay on artificial limestone reefs. Fantastic thing. i would, I embarrassed that I wasn't kind of aware this was happening. I had to read about it in the paper. I'm sure you're all over it. And um, excited, must be excited, well, this yes. happening
0: now? Oh, well, the Nature Conservancy have been do- doing some work on this for a couple of years now, and mm-hmm. uh, they've had a, some... Um, uh, sites that have been trialled uh, and uh, with some success, so that's great and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, and obviously the filter of feeding uh, species are really play a key role in, in keeping the bay healthy, and that's a big part of the uh, environment management plan too. Is how to deal with nutrients, yes. etc., that sort of stuff. So, actually maintaining the habitats in in a sound position to uh, condition to be able to manage those nutrients and, and process them is really going to be part of the key to the success of the bay. And when um, white people first arrived here, there were enormous
3: beds of oysters in the bay, and um, gradually got removed, and then. The scallop dredging started happening with gusto in the 50s and that removed heaps of it so that we now have this more or less sandy desert. Yeah, And they're trying to get, get it back to what it was before, which is, you know, lots of rubble with, well, from shellfish
0: uh, it 's worth noting though that there also uh, have been a few other uh, new residents emerged <laughs> or have come into that sandy, desert, such as the northern pacific sea stars yeah. so it will be interesting to see uh, how, particularly how the, uh, the, the uh, reef that 's going to be installed in Hobson's Bay not far from St. Kilda, which is a bit of a stronghold of northern Pacific sea stars, whether or not they 'll succeed there.
2: Tell us about this reef that you just mentioned, so the, a new reef that's about to be installed?
0: Yes, they're, they're um, building you know, a couple, actually, um, they're out of, make, using limestone rock, so uh, and uh, they'll be placed uh, in a couple of locations. I think there's another one in the south of the bay, and there has been some work done in Corio Bay as well. So so this is all part of the oyster regeneration thing. Mm. They put the limestone reefs and then they put the
3: spat, which are being bred at Queenscliff, yep. of the local oyster on mm. there, and then hopefully they'll take... and. Everything will be good. They'll be doing their filter feeding, making the water clean, getting rid of all that rubbish.
2: Do we know where the uh, limestone's coming from?
3: No, I have no
0: idea about that. We'll
3: have to follow that one up, Dr Beach. Locally sourced limestone rocks will be sunk seven metres below the water's surface off Hobson's Bay near St Kilda and off Corio Bay near Avalon.
2: It's always good to know these things.
3: Around 300,000 oysters will be dropped over the rocks, which will cover a
0: 500-square-metre area.
2: Mm. Let's hope the uh, Northern Pacific sea stars haven't suddenly got a smorgasbord in front of them.
0: They'll be checking their Facebook page. (laughs) Let's get on down there. Excellent. Hopefully that doesn't occur though. But yeah, it was, it's worth a try and uh, I wish them well with it and mm. hope for all, all success. But yep. um, there could be issues.
2: It is, it is. It's a, a great project. Mm. What else is happening in the bank? Uh, well, we haven't caught up with you since like, well, last Well, I was about year. to say,
3: this is the first time for this year. So yeah. your summer, how was your summer? I mean, what, well, ex- what exciting highlights did you have around our beautiful Port Phillip Bay?
0: Well, one of the... One of, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this, but when I did a shoreline shell survey down at um, Point Lonsdale
3: A shoreline shell survey?
0: Uh, yes, I've been doing shoreline those uh, basically uh, just to give people an opportunity, an introduction to the lives that the animals that inhabited those shells live and, you know... The, the, what that gives us some insights into the local marine environment, and uh, one of the um, parents that came along, it's usually for kids, families, etc., had taken some photos of violet snails down at uh, Point Lonsdale, which well, there was a the first record for Victoria apparently, and um, they're a, a species that uh, uh, eat. Uh, Believe it or not, blue bottles, and uh, <laughs> they float. They're, they're a pelagic, right. free-floating species that uh, travel in these communities of uh, blue bottles. So the violet
3: snails float with the blue yes, bottles. Yes, they have
0: this um, gaseous sort of uh, chamber that keeps ah. them up suspended on the surface. And uh, so, and this interestingly enough is the first record of the species. Apart from there were some found down near Barwon Heads perhaps a little bit later than what she'd taken the photo, as a matter of fact. Mm. Uh, and it ties in, really, with the record sea surface temperatures up in the northern part of uh, Australia. So there's there's definitely some moves afoot due to climate-induced uh, fa- factors.
2: Yeah. We don't tend to get blue bottles around here. I know on the New South Wales south coast at this time of the year, they're everywhere.
0: Mm.
2: It'd be really interesting to see what happens uh in in victoria and, and in portfield bay heading into the future of these um snails are showing up whether the blue bottles are going to do likewise
0: well there, there were quite a few actually um in around November right and December okay. of last year i haven't
2: it? i haven't it's something maybe I've just it's gone past me <laughs> but um something I haven't sort of come across
0: yeah no, they they were turning up and and coincidentally and the by the wind sailors too, which are another species that are they're such cool um, little guys, aren't they Valella. Yeah. yeah yeah the ones that you might Listeners
3: might recognise them. They're little disc-shaped things about a centimetre yeah. in length and they've got mm. a big sail in the middle. Mm. And they're all related to jellyfish type things. Cylentorates used to yeah. call them cnidarians. Yeah. Made up of lots of little colonies of organisms.
0: Yeah. Fascinating That's things. really and incredible. Uh, the, such a lifestyle. Apparently they have uh, one uh, has a sail going sort of uh, east west or across the body and the other one is the north south or something like that so so they never actually go in the same direction uh, uh i'm not sure what the what the story is there whether it's um are they males and females i don't know neil I, i'm going to check uh, that out so much to learn <laughs> so. <Some laughs> homework
2: for you dr beach
0: homework for me report,
2: right. report back
0: yeah uh, but of course me. the other big things in the bay though has been uh, quite the number of beach closures and mm-hmm with the torrential rainfall yeah. events that we've had, there's been some significant uh, overloads of nutrient, et cetera. And I guess the water temperature too is likely to be a little... So the conditions for algal blooms and that sort of thing are sort of up there.
3: Yep, and we're going to talk to Neil Rodrigue later on about um, Mark. Undaria, Mark Rodrigue, Mark sorry.
2: Rodrigue.
0: Yeah, you're Neil. Uh, Mark, <laughs> <laughs> about um, Undaria.
2: Anything else, Neil, before we wrap up?
0: Oh, no, well, um, there's, there's always other things going on, so the regeneration projects are terrific. We've been doing a lot of um, work with young people. Looking into the Paffy elongata the um, little bivalve that seems to be very prolific in the top of the bay and on the eastern coast, yeah.
2: Now, I believe there's a marine debris seminar coming up reasonably soon involving um, Tangaroa Blue. Are you involved in that
0: one? Uh, they're doing, yeah, Tangaroa Blue are running quite a number of source reduction uh, forums yet with i think about seven local governments around the melbourne area and uh, one of the key things that i hope to contribute to that is that um, i'm very pleased to say that i've developed a method for uh, monitoring microplastics on beaches which has been accepted by sustainability victoria as a method to, to do that Fantastic. and uh, i've adapted the data sheet uh, which also talks to Tangra Blues uh, National Marine Debris Database, uh, so that it can be used for auditing streets and and rivers, so that we can actually track where these little uh, nasties are coming from and uh, have a, have a friendly word with the local governments, the <laughs> the key source, because that's all. But that's really what we have to do about marine debris: is find out where it's coming from and stop it.
3: That's fantastic, Neil. That's um, I really look forward to seeing that getting rolled out and I hope you would tell us more about it as it, as it um,
0: Yeah, it's been a on. bit of a saga sort of getting to this point but uh, I think it's actually all coming together now. Big step
2: forward and yeah. if anyone is listening and wants to talk to Neil Moore, or even potentially go along to uh, one of your beach surveys because mm. I've been to one, I found it highly educational, I learned an awful lot about microplastics and how they can get categorised and, and um, data collected and that sort of thing, I, I totally recommend it. How can our listeners get in touch with you?
0: Oh, probably the best way is just to email baykeeper at ecocenter.com or you can google port phillip baykeeper and you'll find a website there too
2: great baykeeper at ecocenter.com and we'll put those links on our website as well on facebook page sorry
0: fantastic thanks neil Mania.
2: we'll catch up with you soon Neil Blake, our baykeeper, will be speaking with Neil throughout the year here on Radio Marinara. And uh, we're now crossing uh, to, uh, I believe, Hobart Airport to speak with um, oh, Terry Allen. Are you there, Terry? Yeah, I'm
4: here, Brian. Good
2: morning. I'm totally putting you on the spot. <laughs> I just realised <laughs> I, I didn't make uh, contact with you before, uh, before we came to air. So, look, thanks for, um, thanks for suddenly making yourself available. How's, uh, how's Hobart been?
4: Uh, it's been very, very nice. Uh, we ha- we arrived here two nights ago, um, sailed in from Port Arthur and very calm and then right up into Stormy Bay and uh, went past the fleece, The uh, Wooden Boat Festival, we're doing a f- uh, sail by and so we got to see a lot of beautiful old craft under full sail and uh, then yesterday we came into town and, you know, walked around and... Uh, Saw lots of everything, everything nautical. Um, So, yeah, it was uh, amazing. So, isn't it interesting? I've I've sailed over a thousand kilometres to the beautiful Bass Strait, the islands, everything. You know, fairly much incident-free. I get here to Hobart Airport, check in at Qantas, and the plane is delayed for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) You're
2: probably wishing you were back on that boat, heading back, um, back up to Victoria that way, hey?
4: Uh, I think so. Might end up being faster. I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us um, just a, just briefly about the wooden boat festival? How was that?
4: Yeah, um, amazing. It's uh, one of the, the. I was told it's the second largest sort of boats wooden boat festival in the world. Um, and they get around about two hundred thousand people come here, which you know I think the population of Hobart is probably not much more than that. Um, Yeah, uh, and just all sorts of rowing craft, sailing craft, um, people making boats, people making craypots, which was very interesting. The old, you know, cane craypots, I enjoyed that. Um, There were um, big, tall ships. We got to go on the uh, Craig, uh, James Craig, got to walk through all that. Uh, And there was, uh, interestingly, as a contrast, there was a gigantic, uh, enormous cruise liner, thing in um, which was like about 10 decks high sitting out Um, so that swelled the crowds and it was a very interesting uh, (laughs) contrast to all the beautiful old uh, wooden boats so yeah it's my first time coming here it was uh, was very it was really really nice big crowds um, but good atmosphere and nice beer and wine and um, my birthday's tomorrow but because I won't be with my partner Jeff we had an early celebration so Hence my voice is a bit rusty <laughs> this morning.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks, Terry, and thanks for making yourself available. And um, we'll, we'll let you go and settle back into the Qantas Lounge and, um, you know, maybe have a coffee or, or a hair of the dog or whatever's <laughs> going to work for you. <laughs> and, uh, we might, thanks very much. Brooke. And we might catch you in studio next week perhaps.
4: Yeah. Possibly. Okay, no worries. There we'll yeah. we go. All right. Okay.
2: Thanks, Terry. See you. See you. Bye. bye. Oh, isn't she good egg? Yes, indeed. At <laughs> <laughs> short notice. Yeah, very short notice with about 18 seconds notice actually. So um, thanks, Terry. And we'll hopefully catch her in studio next week. Um, we're joined in the studio
3: this morning by Dr Tim Smith. Tim was on the program a couple of years ago. Tim is an expert in all things seagrass. How are you going, Tim? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Welcome back. Yes, and no, it's good to be here. <laughs> when you were here before talking about the seagrass, and I just want to just remind people, seagrasses are not seaweeds, Def- so they definitely are, they are flowering plants. <laughs> they are card-carrying flowering plants. Um,
2: you heard my phylogenetic faux pas earlier. <laughs> phylogenetic faux pas, I love that. <laughs>
3: yes, no it There's I, uh, nothing to do with phycology. No. Nothing, nothing. Or psychology. <laughs> or any of those things. Um, you were telling us, I want to get on to what you've been doing more recently but just before we do that I just want to remind people of the, the fascinating story that you were introducing us to two years ago and that was with the seagrass in Port Phillip Bay that had some wacky relationship with one in Chile.
5: Yeah so um, there's on the west coast of Chile there's only three small small patches of seagrass and it turns out they're the same species we have in port phillip bay and southern australia which is uh zostra slash depends who you talk to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> nigricolus so yeah. um okay. yeah there's well, the taxonomists are fighting each so other so
3: we have a couple of species that we have amphibolus is another one
5: yep um and then there's also zostramuleri which is the intertidal and in the estuaries. so what's um, the one that you commonly see at the top of uh, say western port it would probably be negrochorus. If it's longish, it would be nigrochorus. Right, you so find d- muellerite right on in the intertitle, but it's only really short. So the zostras
3: are the ones, the long strappy things, yep. and the amphibolus is the one that's a little bit more spatulate, how would you call it? Yeah, it's
2: bowl shaped. <laughs>
3: Yeah, amphibolus. <laughs> <and for bowlers. laughs> Never is our cheeky we
2: we're, we're going with your hand gesticulations yeah, here, was, Dr Beach. Oh, right,
3: okay. Yeah, like, I can't help it. But hand, Which, of hand course, gesticulations our listeners can't, don't work our listeners on can't see, yeah. but we can. Anyway, three species of seagrass. One of the strappy ones we have in Port Phillip Bay. Yep. Closer related to something in Chile. Yeah, so
5: You've solved the mystery. Well, I don't know if we quite solved the mystery, but it's the same species. And so in Chile there's, only, there's three patches, but there's only two clones. So we did some genetics and it's basically... Um, there's only two clones there so these big patches um so one of of these patches is like 2.3 kilometers squared so big area um and it's just one single plant basically and so this actually this is a good bit makes (laughs) it the um the second largest clone in terms of area in the world we think so this is like our big seagrass story (laughs) seagrass is famous
3: (laughs) but you've used genetics to show that this is so how did it get there? Why is why there so, no? Why is there not more seagrass on yeah, in so Chile? Well that's, just one patch because
5: there's only two. Because there's only two uh, clones. We think that obviously there's only been two introductions from Australia, and um, that's how it got there. So we either went over on the boat or bought it, a ticket, did the yeah. Trans Pacific cruise, yep. <laughs> thought it'd stay. Um, or it floated there. And so the boats, it was first recorded in the 1880s, so a long, long time ago. So I went through all the records at the library um, and there was about, I think there was about 300 ships prior to 1880, went from Australia to Chile. So possibly pretty unlikely because it would have had a three-month journey and would have dried out. Or it could have drifted over there. Um, and so we did some modelling. We ran a couple of different models. And the sort of in these models they released, 10 million particles and about 200 of them reached Chile within two years. So very, very unlikely, but it can happen.
3: Right, so So it might have drifted across or it could have been on a boat. That's unlikely, but it could have been stuck to something on a boat and then that's that's scraped off in point over there. possibly, but
5: yeah.
2: Well, what about on the bottom of someone's surfboard <laughs> I'm just sort of thinking as food. Back in the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Even, but even more recently, Look, I, and well, I know but things
3: but the go through quarantine been in Chile
5: since so the 1800s. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Right.
3: You got, you got to concentrate more.
5: Bro.
3: <laughs> oh. Um, At Spain last year.
5: Yeah. So I got a last year I got an Endeavour fellowship to go and Congratulations. work in in Spain. Yeah. It's pretty. Um, it was highly I was prestigious. Yeah. It was. It was pretty exciting. I was. Um, <laughs> And so I spent four months working uh, in Blanes, which is just north of Barcelona. So about an hour on the coast north of Barcelona. At, You're looking uh, kind of Spanish at the moment, tanned oh, and bearded. I, I came back at the uh, at the start of summer, and I was yeah very tanned. Everyone was quite um uh, <laughs> quite jealous, <laughs> but. Uh, Yeah, it was great. And so we did some work on... So they've got a different type of species called Posidonia, uh, Posidonia oceanica. It's only Different type of species of of seagrass. Seagrass, sorry, sorry. Um, In the Mediterranean, uh, it's in about six or seven metres of water. So we did lots of diving and we did some projects to look at the impacts of uh, climate change on seagrass herbivory. So over there, the sea urchins eat the seagrass. And also the there's a fish species, Selpa selpa, that eats the seagrass. And so we're looking at if you increase the water temperature, do the sea urchins eat more? Do the seagrass, does it grow more? Is there more, um, do the the uh, chemicals within the seagrass change so they become less palatable to the urchins and things like this? So looking at those sort of interactions of the, the herbivory and seagrass. So doing experimental
3: biology like this and increasing the temperature of the water that the seagrasses are in, do you have to do that in a lab or can you do it in situ as it were and kind of
5: increase we the temperature we, we and... did it all in the lab generally um there was some of the stuff we did with the with the fish we sort of looked at areas with warm temperature and cooler temperature uh te- warm water and cooler water because it's just you can't get the fish to swim around in the lab um yeah so it was cool and then we had another project where we looked at the different densities of sea urchins and how much seagrass they eat and on different species and so yeah, a couple of pretty cool projects i really enjoyed it nice so that so we we all appreciate the
3: important role that seagrasses do, not only in capturing carbon, but also being providing a nice, safe haven and nursery for developing animals in the marine environment. Play the same role in the Mediterranean?
5: Yeah, very similar, very similar. Probably more like the amount of fish in the in the um, seagrass over there is like probably high, maybe not higher than here, but it's much more visible. Um, there's a lot, a lot of fish in there. Um, but then you're in the Mediterranean so all the fish are pretty tiny. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't get very big. They all get eaten, <laughs> eaten <laughs> so, by yeah, the, the fishermen. The, they don't get much of a chance. <laughs> no. It was quite cool, though, because there was a marine park um, not a couple of hours from where we were. We went up there a couple of times, and it's got a lot of seagrass, so it's kind of like you know you compare this area to the areas that yep. are in the marine park, and the fish in the marine park were huge, like big cooter and, <laughs> and grofers and everything, and you just kind of like... <laughs> This is what marine parks work. (laughs) That's right. They're loving it and they're exporting all their larvae and eggs to
3: the other areas so the fishermen, we (laughs) we could have a whole three shows on that beautiful, well, how we need more marine parks. So back from Spain, finished the Endeavour Fellowship, hopefully knocking off a couple of papers. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I know, yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. Apollo Bay over the summer? Yeah,
5: recently. so um, I'm originally from Apollo Bay. mum and dad still live there. And I, I landed a park ski as a summer ranger cool. uh, in Apollo Bay. So it was really awesome because I hadn't spent a summer in Apollo Bay for over 10 years. And it was great. I got to work for parks and cruise all through the Otway National Park, tracks I haven't been down before and beaches I hadn't visited for years. So Did you do any...
3: Rockpool rambles with people.
5: Yep, so I did lots of rockpool rambles um, at Moringo, at the reef, at Moringo, and the, on the point, and down at Blanket Bay, Johanna. So it was great fun, and just uh, I, did really enjoy it, just having little little kids fire up and get excited, and we saw some cool little shore eels and some nudibranchs. So we saw some Verco nudibranch, well, one in the in the rock pools, so that was I really see. exciting, little like the little blue and yellow one. So. Um, yeah, those kids were going crazy. And I was like, Ranger Tim, Ranger Tim. <laughs> Ranger Tim. <laughs> so this is Ranger Tim, if anybody yeah, yeah. did any of those. We got, yeah. We've got we got
3: him captive here in the in the studio of East Brunswick. Yeah. That's yeah, a bit of a... And you said your dad is, has got a bit to do with um, Apollo Bay Radio.
5: Yeah, so in the last couple of years... You should have brought him um, in. Yeah, well, he's, he's nursing a little bit of a hangover. Oh, so well, that's my right, family <laughs> wedding last night, wasn't yeah. it? But, uh, yeah, no, so we uh, there's Apollo Bay Radio that... They got a licence about 12 months ago... Uh, two years ago, um, and Dad's, yeah, sort of the president down there, so he was, um, oh, Triple R, I should come in and have a look, and the this, this studio here is a bit bigger to the, compared to the one in Apollo Bay and a bit bigger listenership as well. Okay, I'm going
3: to tune in. I'm going to try and get that call sign. Um, so Apollo Bay is done, but I hear you're heading off to an exciting new job in Newcastle in New South Wales, not the United Kingdom one?
5: No, uh, New South Wales. So in, I, just in a couple of weeks or something? Yeah, so I've basically the Summer Ranger job finishes, at the end of Feb and um, I applied for a few jobs and I got one at the Uni of New South Wales, um, actually on the Central Coast Campus, so just out of of New South Wales. But yeah, a whole lot... Just out of Newcastle? Oh, yes. So it's the University (laughs) of New South South Wales Wales at No, sorry, University of Newcastle, Central Coast Campus. Right, okay. Um, In New South Wales, in the fair state of New South Wales. For a postdoc? Yes, Yes, for for a postdoc. And so we're working on quite a few different projects, um, probably not so seagrass focused this time, but uh, quite a few aquaculture projects. So one on with the oyster farmers up there and one, they've got a new kingfish Mm aquaculture that they're starting up um, with these massive pens that are out to sea. So... Um, I think Troy's got a bit of work. The, my boss will have a bit of work out there. So
2: is that around the Port Stephens area?
5: Yeah, Port Stephens, mm-hmm. yeah. So we, I think we're going to do, do a bit of work out there. So that'll be quite interesting. So once you're ensconced and you're all over it, we'll, um, of
3: course, get you on the on the yeah. blower to tell us what's been happening. Well, I at think London I'll be Castle. back here. Well, my contract's only a 12-month contract, so... Well, we'll talk Go to you on. during the winter once you, you know what's <laughs> happening. Tim, we're going to move on. Thank you very much for coming into the studio to talk to us. We've been talking to Dr Tim Smith, nice. um, who is all things seagrass, um, heading off to the University of Newcastle. Um,
2: and without further ado, we're now going to cross to Bowen Heads to catch up with Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria. Good morning, Mark.
1: Uh, good morning, Bron. Good morning, Dr Beach Nerida. How are you all doing? <laughs> Hi, Mark.
2: We're all good. Hey, how's your summer been?
1: Oh, it's been excellent actually, and it was just lovely hearing Tim's Delta tone, Ranger Tim's Delta tone, coming over <laughs> the lower a short while ago. That was just wonderful, and what an amazing group of people we're, we're very fortunate to have come and join our organisation. And you know, we'd like to see them sort of stay on for, for more. If there were some more jobs around, it would be a wonderful thing to see people like Tim and, and many other summer rangers we have uh, extended into the into the organisation because they certainly bring a lot of obvious skills, talent, and uh, passion for the for the uh, the environment generally. And with people like Tim and some of the others we've had. Uh, just some of those marine uh, people across the state has been just fantastic to have. You know, really, you know, building, you know, sort of stewardship, um, attracting hearts and minds to the to the wonderful environments of Victoria. It's just a great thing.
2: And uh, yeah, while we're on summer ranges, um, maybe just for our listeners who haven't heard about the program before, because I did want to ask you about this. You mentioned Tim. Um, you've had a couple of other... Uh, summer rangers, in particular, if our listeners are thinking that sounds like a really great program, um, next summer I'd like to get involved, because sometimes these things get up and running and it's too late. Um, How does it all work?
4: well um
1: every year we, we basically uh, take on board you know somewhere around 30 to 40 uh, people to help us essentially during that re- really busy time of the year um, one of the uh, one of the tragedies of living in victoria is that we quite often face bushfires during the, through this period when many of our staff actually and certainly over the last decade there's been a number of a number of times when many of our ongoing staff basically are you know, called up to basically go and assist in the fire effort so having a having a contingency a group of people there is a contingency to face those challenges just when they come up and keep the business running um, is really important. So um, we, we recruit uh, quite broadly. Um, the best way to sort of stay in touch with it is to just keep keep an eye on the, on the website, the Park Victoria website, parks.vic.gov.au. Um, and, you know, the application process generally starts around the middle of the year. Uh, people basically you know put a submission in uh, they you know, give us give us some sort of an understanding of what their skills and their, their interests happen to be and clearly, in the space we 're looking for people with people skills uh, people who can talk and uh, you know communicate uh, values etc um, um, but yeah it 's basically a matter of, of applying and those uh, people who are you know deemed to be appropriate uh, get the gig and uh, yeah, it's it 's a, a wonderful experience certainly um you know, in terms of building your CV, uh, building your experience, making some connections, networks, et cetera. It's a great opportunity for the summer rangers. And from our perspective, it's just uh, you know incredibly valuable to have people in that in that place, and particularly, as I said, during those times of the year when a lot of our permanent, ongoing staff are just simply not available for other
2: reasons. Yeah, it's a great program, and you don't have to have um, you know, a Bachelor of Science or be particularly qualified in marine science to go and do this mm-hmm. program.
1: No, that's absolutely right. And it's certainly a lot broader than the uh, the marine program. I mean, while we're really fortunate, we've actually got quite a number of uh, of people like Tim um, working with us at the moment who've got a background in marine, uh, marine science or marine uh, ecology. Uh, we also have, obviously, people who've got lots of other skills as well that work across the terrestrial park system as well. We're very fortunate in Victoria to have such a fantastic and diverse park network. You know, we've got about 15% of the land is protected in national parks. Um, and, yeah, our summer rangers, as I said, they... they you know work across the entire landscape and the and the coastline as well
2: now i alluded at the start of the program to some developments uh in the marine pest uh, situation i suppose for want of a better word in in port Phillip bay in particular i said we would wait until you were on to come and talk about it but we've had some problems with um undaria in particular
1: yeah absolutely look this is uh this is an i think neil referred to it a bit earlier on the um the fact that Port Phillip Bay being a sort of a destination for, for ships from around the world over you know two hundred plus years now, um, we actually do have in the bay particularly a, a really large number of species that that uh, that are exotic that come from other places. Not all of them necessarily are pests in the sense that they don't all cause harm or damage, but there are a number of them which actually do. And uh, Neil mentioned the northern Pacific sea stars earlier on. Uh, that's certainly a, a big, uh, big issue, and, and uh, we're very concerned because these things seem to be spreading not only within the bay but uh, jumping out and getting into other places. We've had recent circumstances with them in the Gippsland lakes uh, uh, last year, and a couple of years prior to that down at Tarra River at Wilsons Prom. I think we spoke about that on the show once. Uh, but this year, uh, we've been Struggling with a, a particular pest, as you mentioned, undaria. It's a it's a uh, brown kelp. It's a it's a uh, species that's native to sort of north, north uh, western Asia, so places like Korea, Japan, China. In fact, it's actually. Probably one of the most valuable sea plants in the world. It's, it's grown commercially in those countries, um, and it's eaten as food. And you know, any, any you know, Japanese food, Korean food, aficionados will be very familiar with Wakami as the uh, is the sort of like the trade name, I guess, for Andaria rather Mark, than marine pest.
3: Mark, I was just thinking though, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, was, I mean, we've got it here. Perhaps we should get out and harvest it. But I guess once you start doing that, then people want to continue doing it once it's.
1: You got rid of it. You don't so want to
2: create a market for it. You don't want to
1: create a market. Yeah, well that, and look that's that's certainly uh, that's certainly something that people have discussed is you know, we, we do have a lot of it and there is potential for you know, some commercial use, use for it. In our situation, we're actually dealing with it as a pest in a park, so it's no different to having blackberries or, you know, sort of uh, thistles or yeah. serrated tussock, basically, in a park circumstance. And under those circumstances, under the National Parks Act, we're we're required to actually take action where it's possible and, uh, you know, we're actually going to be effective to actually control pests, uh, animal, plant, whatever they might be. Um, this, uh, this summer, um, as Brom mentioned, uh, back in December... We're actually doing some surveys out at pope's eye um very familiar place to all your listeners i hope it's a you know been a protected area since the late 1970s and it's probably one of our most important visitor sites in the marine national park system in the fact that many people learn to dive uh when they're learning to dive go out there it's a a, a beautiful sort of uh, reef right at the entrance to port phillip bay artificial reef it is but it's still uh you know been there for a long time and it's certainly got a fantastic community of plants and animals living there when we're doing some surveys there in uh december uh, we just happened to notice um, a bit of Undaria growing so we followed it up with a, a couple of uh, more detailed surveys um, specifically looking at the Undaria and discovered much to our horror um, that there was an area probably the size of about seven tennis courts of uh, Undaria growing just to the east, uh, east side of the uh, the annuals for those people who know it the rocks just the east side of the rocks growing on the rubble and the uh, the rocky base uh, down there um, and again as, as I said you know this is a important visitor site it's an important uh, biodiversity site it's a You know, really important park and um, so we decided to have a go at actually um, trying to control it which is not all that easy when you think this is growing in six meters of water Uh, it's in an area which has got very strong tidal flows etc and so for the first time to my knowledge in certainly in Victoria and possibly in Australia we we put a team together over the last uh, six weeks or so to actually go out and physically remove it so this is basically scuba divers on the bottom Pulling the weed, uh, bagging it up, basically sending it up uh, via ropes up to the surface, where we had some snorkels waiting there, and they then transferred that into bins on the boat. And we removed something like half a ton of um, under there over the last uh, last six weeks, um, quite a quite a substantial amount. Um, we we put a little uh, internal media release out on um, on Friday saying a bit like the uh, George W George W Bush uh, sort of statement, mission accomplished, because we actually. Saw the last of it on, on uh, Friday. Uh, this uh, Friday just gone, um, but just like the uh, George W. Bush mission accomplished uh, <laughs> it, it, it statement, will be back. Uh, it will be back, and it's certainly the war is definitely not over. So, look, it's been a, a, an interesting learning experience for us. We're really uh, pleased that we've been able to do something effective in terms of controlling it, but we're certainly under no illusions that this is the end of the game. And the important thing, I guess, is to recognise that pests, while Port Phillip Bay is a a well-known pest haven. This is an issue that really affects anybody who cares about the marine environment. Pests can spread uh, quite quickly via vessels, via gear, um, wetsuits and things like that. Really important that everyone remembers with me going particularly from Port Phillip Bay to other parts of our magnificent coast to, to wash their gear in fresh water, similarly with boats, and let it dry out. And that's probably the most effective thing we can all do to help be part of the solution rather than being part of the problem of
2: spreading pests. That, that's right, Mark. Hey, we're rapidly coming up to 10 o'clock. We're just going to want to get a really quick save the date in for Festival of the Sea and then we're going to have to um, close up for radiotherapy. Festival of the Sea coming up on.
1: Uh 15th and 19th of March. So, yeah, big, big uh, week down here in Bowen Hedge. So uh, come on down. It uh, uh, culminates on the Sunday the 19th with, uh, with a, a huge music, uh, arts, uh, environment sort of uh, combo all happening on the foreshore. So come on Excellent. down to Bowen Hedge in March. All
2: right, well, we'll get, you, uh, we'll get you back on the blower between now and then. We can talk more about Festival of the Sea. Um, thanks for joining us, Mark. And uh, we'll put a link to the great work that you do at Parks Victoria on our Facebook page.
1: No, thanks. Love your work.
2: <laughs> and and right back at you. Thanks, Mark. Okay, See it. you. Bye, Bye for now. Mark, Mark Rodriguez. there from Parks Victoria. Thank you to him and also to our other guests today, Dr. Tim Smith and uh, also to Neil Blake. Thank you, Dr. Beach. Pleasure. Thank you, Nerida. Uh, thank you, Kent. He's been taking calls. He'll have our program up as a podcast in the small hours ahead. On next week's program, Angeline is going to be joining me and hopefully Terry Allen. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Carl Gardner about a great exhibition coming up called Beats Working. It's got a very surf based theme so sure you're going to enjoy that one stay tuned for radiotherapy sk and mcziff and the crew are ready to take you through to 11 o'clock when the einsteiners will take over and uh, have yourselves a wonderful sunday we'll catch you next week bye for now
5: Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors.
0: This has been a podcast Uh, from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.